In the chronicles of the ancient dynasty of the Sassanidae, who reigned for about 400 years, from Persia to the borders of China, beyond the great river Ganges itself, we read the praises of one of the kings of this race, who was said to be the best monarch of his time. His subjects loved him, and his neighbors feared him, and when he died, he left his kingdom in a more prosperous and powerful condition than any king had done before him. The two sons who survived him loved each other tenderly, and it was a real grief to the elder, Shahriar, that the laws of the empire forbade him to share his dominions with his brother Shatsuman. Indeed, after ten years, during which this state of things had not ceased to trouble him, Shahriar cut off the country of Great Tartary from the Persian Empire and made his brother king. Now the Sultan Shahriar had a wife whom he loved more than all the world, and his greatest happiness was to surround her with splendor and to give her the finest dresses and the most beautiful jewels. It was therefore with the deepest shame and sorrow that he accidentally discovered after several years that she had deceived him completely, and her whole conduct turned out to have been so bad that he felt himself obliged to carry out the law of the land and order the Grand Vizier to put her to death. The blow was so heavy that his mind almost gave way, and he declared that he was quite sure that at bottom all women were as wicked as the Sultana, if you could only find them out, and that the fewer the world contained, the better. So every evening he married a fresh wife and had her strangled the following morning before the Grand Vizier, whose duty it was to provide these unhappy brides for the Sultan. The poor man fulfilled his task with reluctance, but there was no escape, and every day saw a girl married and a wife dead. This behavior caused the greatest horror in the town, where nothing was heard but cries and lamentations. In one house was a father weeping for the loss of his daughter, in another, perhaps, a mother trembling for the fate of her child. And instead of the blessings that had formerly been heaped on the Sultan's head, the air was now full of curses. The Grand Vizier himself was the father of two daughters, of whom the elder was called Scheherazade, and the younger Dinazade. Dinazada had no particular gifts to distinguish her from other girls, but her sister was clever and courageous in the highest degree. Her father had given her the best masters in philosophy, medicine, history and the fine arts. And besides all this, her beauty excelled that of any girl in the kingdom of Persia. One day, when the Grand Vizier was talking to his eldest daughter, who was his delight and pride, Scheherazade said to him, Father, I have a favor to ask of you. Will you grant it to me? I can refuse you nothing, replied he. That is just and reasonable. Then listen, said Scheherazade. I am determined to stop this barbarous practice of the sultans and to deliver the girls and mothers from the awful fate that hangs over them. It would be an excellent thing to do, returned the Grand Vizier. But how do you propose to accomplish it? My father, answered Scheherazade, it is you who have to provide the Sultan daily with a fresh wife, and I implore you by all the affection you bear me to allow the honour to fall upon me. Have you lost your senses? cried the Grand Vizier, starting back in horror. What has put such a thing into your head? You ought to know by this time what it means to be the Sultan's bride. Yes, my father, I know it well, replied she, and I am not afraid to think of it. If I fail, my death will be a glorious one. And if I succeed, I shall have done a great service to my country. It is of no use, said the Grand Vizier, 
I shall never consent. If the Sultan was to order me to plunge a dagger in your heart, I should have to obey. What a task for a father. Ah, if you do not fear death, fear at any rate the anguish you would cause me. Once again, my father, said Scheherazade, will you grant me what I ask? What, are you still so obstinate? exclaimed the Grand Vizier. Why are you so resolved upon your own ruin? But the maiden absolutely refused to attend to her father's words, and at length, in despair, the Grand Vizier was obliged to give way, and went sadly to the palace to tell the Sultan that the following evening he would bring him Scheherazade. The Sultan received this news with the greatest astonishment. How have you made up your mind, he asked, to sacrifice your own daughter to me? Sire, answered the Grand Vizier, it is her own wish. Even the sad fate that awaits her could not hold her back. Let there be no mistake, Vizier, said the Sultan. Remember, you will have to take her life yourself. If you refuse, I swear that your head shall pay forfeit. Sire, returned the Vizier, whatever the cost, I will obey you. Though a father, I am also your subject. So the Sultan told the Grand Vizier he might bring his daughter as soon as he liked. The Vizier took back this news to Scheherazade, who received it as if it had been the most pleasant thing in the world. She thanked her father warmly for yielding to her wishes, and seeing him still bowed down with grief, told him that she hoped he would never repent having allowed her to marry the Sultan. Then she went to prepare herself for the marriage, and begged that her sister Dinazada should be sent for to speak to her. When they were alone, Scheherazade addressed her thus, My dear sister, I want your help in a very important affair. My father is going to take me to the palace to celebrate my marriage with the Sultan. When his highness receives me, I shall beg him, as a last favour, to let you sleep in our chamber, so that I may have your company during the last night I'm alive. If, as I hope, he grants me my wish, be sure that you wake me an hour before the dawn, and speak to me in these words. My sister, if you are not asleep, I beg you, before the sun rises, to tell me one of your charming stories. Then I shall begin and I hope by this means to deliver the people from the terror that reigns over them. Dinazada replied that she would do with pleasure what her sister wished. When the usual hour arrived, the Grand Vizier conducted Scheherazade to the palace and left her alone with the Sultan, who bade her raise her veil and was amazed at her beauty. But seeing her eyes full of tears, he asked what was the matter. Sire, replied Scheherazade. I have a sister who loves me as tenderly as I love her. Grant me the favour of allowing her to sleep this night in the same room, as it is the last we shall be together. Sharia consented to Scheherazade's petition, and Dinazade was sent for. An hour before daybreak Dinazade awoke, and exclaimed as she had promised, My dear sister, if you are not asleep, tell me I pray you before the sun rises, one of your charming stories. It is the last time that I shall have the pleasure of hearing you. Scheherazade did not answer her sister, but turned to the Sultan. Will your highness permit me to do as my sister asks? said she. Willingly, he answered. So Scheherazade began. Sire, there was once upon a time a merchant who possessed great wealth, in land and merchandise, as well as in ready money. He was obliged from time to time to take journeys to arrange his affairs. One day, having to go a long way from home, he mounted his horse, taking with him a small wallet 
in which he had put a few biscuits and dates, because he had to pass through the desert where no food was to be got. He arrived without any mishap, and having finished his business, set out on his return. On the fourth day of his journey, the heat of the sun being very great, he turned out of his road to rest under some trees. He found at the foot of a large walnut tree a fountain of clear and running water. He dismounted, fastened his horse to a branch of the tree, and sat by the fountain after having taken from his wallet some of his dates and biscuits. When he had finished this frugal meal, he washed his face and hands in the fountain. When he was thus employed, he saw an enormous genius, white with rage, coming towards him with a scimitar in his hand. Arise, he cried in a terrible voice, and let me kill you as you have killed my son. As he uttered these words, he gave a frightful yell. The merchant, quite as much terrified at the hideous face of the monster as at his words, answered him tremblingly, Alas, good sir, what can I have done to you to deserve death? I shall kill you, repeated the genius, as you have killed my son. But, said the merchant, how can I have killed your son? I do not know him, and I have never even seen him. When you arrived here, did you not sit down on the ground? asked the genius. And did you not take some dates from your wallet, and whilst eating them, did not you throw the stones about? Yes, said the merchant, I certainly did so. Then, said the genius, I tell you, you have killed my son, for whilst you were throwing about the stones, my son passed by, and one of them struck him in the eye and killed him, so I shall kill you. Ah, sir, forgive me, cried the merchant. I will have no mercy on you, answered the genius, but I killed your son quite unintentionally, so I implore you to spare my life. No, said the genius, I shall kill you as you killed my son. And so saying, he seized the merchant by the arm, threw him on the ground, and lifted his sabre to cut off his head. The merchant, protesting his innocence, bewailed his wife and children, and tried pitifully to avert his fate. The genius, with his raised scimitar, waited till he had finished, but was not in the least touched. Scheherazade, at this point, seeing that it was day, and knowing that the sultan always rose very early to attend the council, stopped speaking. Indeed, sister, said Dinazad, this is a wonderful story. The rest is still more wonderful, replied Scheherazade, and you would say so if the sultan would allow me to live another day, and would give me leave to tell it to you the next night. Sharia, who had been listening to Scheherazade with pleasure, said to himself, I will wait till tomorrow. I can always have her killed when I have heard the end of her story. All this time the Grand Vizier was in a terrible state of anxiety, but he was much delighted when he saw the Sultan enter the council chamber without giving the terrible command that he was expecting. The next morning before the day broke, Dinazada said to her sister, Dear sister, if you are awake, I pray you to go on with your story. The Sultan did not wait for Scheherazade to ask his leave. Finish, said he, the story of the genius and the merchant. I am curious to hear the end. So Scheherazade went on with the story. This happened every morning. The Sultana told a story and the Sultan let her live to finish it. When the merchant saw that the genius was determined to cut off his head, he said, One word more, I entreat you. Grant me a little delay, just a short time to go home and bid my wife and children farewell and to make my will. When I have done this, I will come back here, and you shall kill me. But, said the genius, if I grant you the delay you ask, I am afraid that you will not come back. 
I give you my word of honour, answered the merchant, that I will come back without fail. How long do you require? asked the genius. I ask you for a year's grace, replied the merchant. I promise you that tomorrow twelvemonth I shall be waiting under these trees to give myself up to you. On this, the genius left him near the fountain and disappeared. The merchant, having recovered from his fright, mounted his horse and went on his road. When he arrived home, his wife and children received him with the greatest joy. But instead of embracing them, he began to weep so bitterly that they soon guessed that something terrible was the matter. Tell us, I pray you, said his wife, what has happened? Alas, answered her husband, I have only a year to live. Then he told them what had passed between him and the genius, and how he had given his word to return at the end of a year to be killed. When they heard this sad news, they were in despair and wept much. The next day the merchant began to settle his affairs, and first of all to pay his debts. He gave presents to his friends and large alms to the poor. He set his slaves at liberty and provided for his wife and children. The year soon passed away, and he was obliged to depart. When he tried to say goodbye, he was quite overcome with grief, and with difficulty tore himself away. At length, he reached the place where he had first seen the genius, on the very day that he had appointed. He dismounted and sat down at the edge of the fountain, where he awaited the genius in terrible suspense. Whilst he was thus waiting, an old man leading a hind came towards him. They greeted one another, and then the old man said to him, May I ask, brother, what brought you to this desert place, where there are so many evil genii about? To see these beautiful trees one would imagine it was inhabited, but it is a dangerous place to stop long in. The merchant told the old man why he was obliged to come there. He listened in astonishment. This is a most marvellous affair. I should like to be a witness of your interview with the genius. So saying, he sat down by the merchant. While they were talking, another old man came up, followed by two black dogs. He greeted them and asked what they were doing in this place. The old man who was leading the hind told him the adventure of the merchant and the genius. The second old man had not sooner heard the story than he too decided to stay there to see what would happen. He sat down by the others and was talking when a third old man arrived. He asked why the merchant who was with them looked so sad. They told him the story and he also resolved to see what would pass between the genius and the merchant, so waited with the rest. They soon saw in the distance a thick smoke, like a cloud of dust. This smoke came nearer and nearer, and then, all at once, it vanished, and they saw the genius, who, without speaking to them, approached the merchant, sword in hand, and taking him by the arm, said, Get up and let me kill you as you killed my son. The merchant and the three old men began to weep and groan, then the old man, leading the hind, threw himself at the monster's feet and said, O oh, prince of the genii, I beg of you to stay your fury and to listen to me. I am going to tell you my story and that of the hind I have with me. And if you find it more marvellous than that of the merchant whom you are about to kill, I hope that you will do away with a third part of his punishment. The genius considered some time and then he said, Very well, I agree to this. I am now going to begin my story, said the old man. So please attend. This hind that you see with me is my wife. We have no children of our own. Therefore, I adopted the son of a favorite slave and determined to make him my heir. 
My wife, however, took a great dislike to both mother and child, which she concealed from me till too late. When my adopted son was about ten years old, I was obliged to go on a journey. Before I went, I entrusted to my wife's keeping both the mother and child, and begged her to take care of them during my absence, which lasted a whole year. During this time, she studied magic in order to carry out her wicked scheme. When she had learnt enough, she took my son into a distant place and changed him into a calf. Then she gave him to my steward and told him to look after a calf she had bought. She also changed the slave into a cow, which she sent to my steward. When I returned, I inquired after my slave and the child. Your slave is dead, she said, and as for your son, I have not seen him for two months, and I do not know where he is. I was grieved to hear of my slave's death, but as my son had only disappeared, I thought I should soon find him. Eight months, however, passed, and still no tidings of him. Then the feast of Bairam came. To celebrate it, I ordered my steward to bring me a very fat cow to sacrifice. He did so. The cow that he brought was my unfortunate slave. I bound her, but just as I was about to kill her, she began to low most piteously, and I saw that her eyes were streaming with tears. It seemed to me most extraordinary, and feeling a movement of pity, I ordered the steward to lead her away and bring another. My wife, who was present, scoffed at my compassion, which made her malice of no avail. "What are you doing?" she cried. "Kill this cow! It is the best we have to sacrifice." To please her, I tried again, but again the animal's lows and tears disarmed me. "Take her away," I said to the steward, "and kill her. I cannot." The steward killed her, but on skinning her, found that she was nothing but bones, although she appeared so fat. I was vexed. Keep her for yourself, I said to the steward, and if you have a fat calf, bring that in her stead. In a short time, he brought a very fat calf, which, although I did not know it, was my son. It tried hard to break its cord and come to me. It threw itself at my feet with its head on the ground, as if it wished to excite my pity. And to beg me not to take away its life, I was even more surprised and touched at this action than I had been at the tears of the cow. Go, I said to the steward. Take back this calf. Take great care of it, and bring me another in its place instantly. As soon as my wife heard me speak this, she at once cried out, "What are you doing, husband? Do not sacrifice any calf but this." Wife, I answered, "I will not sacrifice this calf." And in spite of all her remonstrances, I remained firm. I had another calf killed. This one was led away. The next day, the steward asked to speak to me in private. "I have come," he said, "to tell you some news which I think you will like to hear. I have a daughter who knows magic. Yesterday, when I was leading back the calf which you refused to sacrifice, I noticed that she smiled, and then directly afterwards began to cry. I asked her why she did so. Father. She answered, "This calf is the son of our master." I smile with joy at seeing him still alive, and I weep to think of his mother, who was sacrificed yesterday as a cow. These changes have been wrought by our master's wife, who hated the mother and son. At these words of genius, continued the old man, "I leave you to imagine my astonishment." I went immediately with the steward to speak with his daughter myself. First of all, I went to the stable to see my son. And he replied in his dumb way to all my caresses. When the steward's daughter came, I asked her if she could change my son back to his proper shape. "Yes, I can," she replied, "on two conditions. One is that you will give him to me for a husband, 
and the other is that you will let me punish the woman who changed him into a calf. To the first condition, I answered, I agree with all my heart, and I will give you an ample dowry. To the second, I also agree, I only beg you to spare her life. That I will do, she replied. I will treat her as she treated your son. Then she took a vessel of water and pronounced over it some words I did not understand. Then, on throwing the water over him, he became immediately a young man once more. My son, my dear son, I exclaimed, kissing him in a transport of joy. This kind maiden has rescued you from a terrible enchantment, and I am sure that out of gratitude you will marry her. He consented joyfully, but before they were married, the young girl changed my wife into a hind, and it is she whom you see before you. I wished her to have this form rather than a stranger one, so that we could see her in the family without repugnance. Since then, my son has become a widower and has gone travelling. I am now going in search of him, and not wishing to confide my wife to the care of other people, I am taking her with me. Is this not a most marvellous tale? It is indeed, said the genius. And because of it I grant to you the third part of the punishment of this merchant. When the first old man had finished his story, the second, who was leading the two black dogs, said to the genius, I am going to tell you what happened to me, and I am sure that you will find my story even more astonishing than the one to which you have just been listening. But when I have related it, will you grant me also the third part of the merchant's punishment? Yes, replied the genius provided that your story surpasses that of the hind. With this agreement, the second old man began in this way. Great Prince of the Genii, you must know that we are three brothers, these two black dogs and myself. Our father died, leaving us each a thousand sequins. With this sum, we all three took up the same profession and became merchants. A short time after we had opened our shops, my eldest brother, one of these two dogs, resolved to travel in foreign countries for the sake of merchandise. With this intention, he sold all he had and bought merchandise suitable to the voyages he was about to make. He set out and was away a whole year. At the end of this time, a beggar came to my shop. Good day, I said. Good day, he answered. Is it possible that you do not recognize me? Then I looked at him closely and saw he was my brother. I made him come into my house and asked him how he had fared in his enterprise. Do not question me, he replied. See me, you see all I have. It would but renew my trouble to tell of all the misfortunes that have befallen me in a year and have brought me to this state. I shut up my shop, paid him every attention, taking him to the bath, giving him my most beautiful robes. I examined my accounts and found that I had doubled my capital that is, that I now possessed two thousand sequins. I gave my brother half, saying, Now, brother, you can forget your losses. He accepted them with joy, and we lived together as we had before. Sometime afterwards, my second brother wished also to sell his business and travel. My eldest brother and I did all we could to dissuade him, but it was of no use. He joined a caravan and set out. He came back at the end of a year in the same state as his elder brother. I took care of him, and as I had a thousand sequins to spare, I gave them to him, and he reopened his shop. One day, my two brothers came to me to propose that we should make a journey and trade. At first I refused to go. You travelled, I said, and what did you gain? But they came to me repeatedly, 
and after having held out for five years, I at last gave way. But when they had made their preparation, and they began to buy the merchandise we needed, they found they had spent every piece of the thousand sequins I had given them. I did not reproach them. I divided my six thousand sequins with them, giving a thousand to each and keeping one for myself, and the other three I buried in a corner of my house. We bought merchandise, loaded a vessel with it, and set forth with a favourable wind. After two months sailing, we arrived at a seaport, where we disembarked and did a great trade. Then we bought the merchandise of the country, and were just going to sail once more, when I was stopped on the shore by a beautiful, though poorly dressed woman. She came up to me, kissed my hand, and implored me to marry her, and take her on board. At first I refused, but she begged so hard and promised to be such a good wife to me, that at last I consented. I got her some beautiful dresses, and after having married her, we embarked and set sail. During the voyage, I discovered so many good qualities in my wife that I began to love her more and more. But my brothers began to be jealous of my prosperity and set to work to plot against my life. One night when we were sleeping, they threw my wife and myself into the sea. My wife, however, was a fairy and so she did not let me drown, but transported me to an island. When the day dawned, she said to me, When I saw you on the seashore, I took a great fancy to you and wished to try your good nature. So I presented myself in the disguise you saw. Now I have rewarded you by saving your life, but I am very angry with your brothers, and I shall not rest till I have taken their lives. I thanked the fairy for all that she had done for me, but I begged her not to kill my brothers. I appeased her wrath, and in a moment she transported me from the island, where we were to the roof of my house, and she disappeared a moment afterwards. I went down and opened the doors and dug up the 3,000 sequins which I had buried. I went to the place where my shop was, opened it, and received from my fellow merchants congratulations on my return. When I went home, I saw two black dogs who came to meet me with sorrowful faces. I was much astonished, but the fairy who reappeared said to me, Do not be surprised to see these dogs. They are your two brothers. I have condemned them to remain for ten years in these shapes. Then having told me where I could hear news of her, she vanished. The ten years are nearly past, and I am on the road to find her. As in passing, I met this merchant and the old man with the hind. I stayed with them. This is my history, O Prince of Genii. Do you not think it is a most marvellous one? Yes, indeed, replied the genius, and I will give up to you the third of the merchant's punishment. Then the third old man made the genius the same request as the other two had done, and the genius promised him the last third of the merchant's punishment if his story surpassed both the others. So he told his story to the genius, but I cannot tell you what it was, as I do not know. But I do know that it was even more marvellous than either of the others, so that the genius was astonished and said to the third old man, I will give up to you the third part of the merchant's punishment. He ought to thank all three of you for having interested yourselves in his favour, but for you, he would be here no longer. So saying, he disappeared to the great joy of the company. The merchant did not fail to thank his friends, and then each went on his way. The merchant returned to his wife and children, and passed the rest of his days happily with them. But sire, added Scheherazade, however beautiful are the stories I have just told you, 
they cannot compare with the story of the fisherman.